Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Desher, and we have our favorite, favorite Monday guest, Taryn Hatcher, and we also have a special guest, Mike Doc Emmerich, to talk all things about his career going into retirement and his time with the Flyers covering Flyers game. A real treat for us, and we hope you enjoy it. But first, let's get into a little 2020-21 NHL season talk. We have a hockey season to look forward to. As we know, the NHL announced the season will begin on January 13th, training camps on January 3rd, and the Flyers are in a realigned division with seven other clubs. They're calling it the East Division. They will play each of those seven teams eight times a piece. It's going to create for some really fun rivalry type of matchups, a lot of animosity, and teams will be awfully familiar with each other. Brooke, let's start with you. If you get, had to pick one team that you think is going to create the most competitive, most heated matchup with the Flyers, who is it going to be? I mean, I don't think anyone. If you if you think you're mentally prepared to see a game to see a team eight times in a single season, you're wrong. You're not going to know what the heck to expect. Um, with that being said, I'm obviously super hyped to see them play the Penguins eight times. But on a competitive note, I think Flyers-Bruins eight times in a year, that's going to be insane. So right off the bat, initially, that's the first thing that I thought of is that these are two highly competitive clubs. They were really, the Bruins are really my only threatening team in the East this upcoming season. And then obviously Tampa's there, but they're in a different division. So that's a conversation for another day. So yeah, I'm really stoked to see this. I think that, I think we're going to see some mixed reviews and opinions on if people are going to like this format or not. But I think if anything, it just has the potential to create some new rivalries for the future. So let's see. But right off the bat, I'm super excited. We just have hockey to talk about. We have dates to talk about. Happy, happy new year. Merry Christmas. Fa la la. There we go. <laughs> uh, Brooke, that's perfect energy. I think everyone's feeling like this is like a nice holiday gift, Christmas present. As we know, Flyers training camp will start on January 3rd. The regular season will start on January 13th. Brooke mentioned two of those teams in the division, the Bruins and the Penguins. Uh, the Flyers division in the East will also have the Sabres, the Rangers, the Islanders, uh, and the Capitals, and the Devils. Taryn, I feel like uh, with these playing these teams eight times in one season, you're really going to have a very good sense of which teams are on one level and which teams are not on a certain level for rivalry purposes. What matchup 
are you looking most looking forward to? Uh, I think I think the Penguins is just the obvious one. I, I love watching Flyers Penguins games, even when they're not great games or intense games. Like there just isn't really a a not great Flyers Penguins game. Um, I'm sure people will go back now and schedule and find like one game that wasn't wonderful to watch. But um, no, the Flyers seem to really step up. It, the thing that's interesting, and I just talked to Robert Haig today. I'm sure that interview will come out sometime soon. But he was saying it really was true this year. The, between the Caps and the Bruins, um, the Flyers got to play them both when they were at the top of the league and played incredibly well against them. They're, all of the teams in this division are teams that the Flyers generally step up and play really well against. Honestly, the matchup that I'm most interested to watch is the Islanders matchup with the Flyers, uh, not just because of obviously what happened in the playoffs just over this past summer, but because the Islanders have given the Flyers fits for two years and the Flyers managed to push them to a seventh game in a series in the playoffs. And that was actually, I hate to say it because we know the Islanders didn't win a Stanley cup this year and were probably not a Stanley cup caliber team and didn't look great against the lightning, but the, the Islanders are a really good team that match up in a really tough way for the Flyers, and they were able to not play their best and still take them to seven games. Um, so I'm interested to see that type of matchup over and over and over and over again, because there's also no love lost between these teams when they see each other frequently. I feel like the past two years, every time the Flyers have played the Islanders, they seem to play them a few times over the span of like a couple of days it almost seems like the islanders come to philly and then the flyers go to um long island not long after and each time the second game is just an absolute battle um but one of the things that that robert said that was interesting was is was exactly kind of the point you're making before jordan is it starts to feel much more like a playoff race all year long when you're playing these teams over and over again, especially because these are generally the teams the Flyers are duking it out with for a playoff spot or in the postseason. So, um, I mean, he was saying he's just, he was so excited for it. And he said, you know, last year is last year and it's a new year this year, but um, based off of last year, these teams really love to step up to the plate in these games against these specific teams. So when you get to see Sidney Crosby on the reg, or you get to see Alex Ovechkin on the reg, or you get to see the Bruins who are at the top of the league on the reg, um, or even a Taylor Hall Sabres team, I'm excited to see what that team looks like. But it's it's going to be an interesting year. I think it's going to feel like a playoff run all year. And then by the time you get to the playoffs, I'm sure they're going to be stoked to see somebody else at some point. Um, but I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, very excited for this because the East is just, there's a lot of history with a lot of these teams for the Flyers, which makes it exciting. It's so funny. You mentioned the Islanders matchup. That was one I honestly kind of forgot about because like Brooke was saying, you see the Bruins and you know, the Boston Philly there, that, that whole element um, of Boston Philly and Bruins being a top dog in the, in this division. And then you think of the Penguins, we all know what that, what that means but gosh yeah the islanders are going to be a big time barometer for the flyers to see where they stand this year against that team compared to last year and i remember chuck fletcher the general manager of the flyers at the end of the season after they lost that seventh game to the islanders in the playoffs he mentioned how they had played new york if if you include the three regular season matchups 
the seven in the playoffs, and then you mentioned the two in the preseason, they played them 13 times and lost to them uh, nine of those. I'm, I'm, excuse me. They played them 12 times and lost to them nine times. And in those nine losses, they allowed three goals or more in all of them. So some reason they had a problem with the Islanders. And I think the Flyers during the all season, they're going to look long and hard at those games and see, Hey, where were we falling short and how can we get to the next level? Uh, for me, I'm even going to pick another New York matchup. How about the Rangers? I think that's going to be a fun one. We know the proximity of Philly and New York. Um, and then it's Elaine Vigneault and Kevin Hayes' old team. I think there's still a little something there between the Rangers and Flyers with Hayes and Elaine Vigneault. Uh, obviously, the Rangers part ways with Elaine Vigneault after one year of him not making the playoffs. They didn't want to sign Kevin Hayes long-term. They didn't see him as a long-term fit for the organization. And uh, I think that makes for some fun rivalry matchups. And I think the Rangers are only getting better, and they're a young team too. So, for me, I really like that that Rangers-Flyers matchup as well. But, gosh, a ton of – um, intrigue in that division, a ton of rivalry games. Uh, it, it should be fun. If the, if the fans can't provide the energy, I have a feeling the teams will in those matchups. I also definitely want to make a quick note that I'm happy that the Hurricanes are not in the division because yeah. that probably, I really have a feeling about Carolina this year and they're just a young team that has continuously gotten better the past two seasons. So the fact that we really don't have to worry about them, yeah. hooray. <laughs> I know, I, I'm partially stoked too, because when those initial divisions came out months ago and Carolina was in it and the Penguins were out of it, fans were not happy. So, yep. you know, I, and I think that the thing that really adds to this, and I'm sure it's not why the league did it, but it is sort of a nice byproduct for fans. If you can't go see a game in person, watching a rivalry that has decades and decades of history still makes you more invested in it. I think like than just watching, you know, like a, like a Flyers Canucks game is not the same for most fans at home as a Flyers Penguins game or a Flyers Bruins game or a Flyers Caps game or a Flyers Rangers game. It's just a different scenario. So it feels like why, while this will be very interesting and you hope that it brings out the best in every single team, um, I think it's also super beneficial for fans at home who just want to feel really invested, even if they can't go cheer for their team in person, potentially. Yeah, it's so true. Whenever you see a game come up on the schedule and fans are real juiced for it or they're, you know, they're flocking to the Wells Fargo Center for it, it's typically not, oh, the Winnipeg Jets are in town or, yeah. you know, whatever team may be out west that the Flyers only see once at home and twice in a season it's always those divisional games, those big games that you see on rivalry nights on national television. And you see fans get up for because there's just so much history there and so many ties and gosh, yeah, to get, you know, these division games, not only four times in a season, but you double it to eight, it's going to create for some fun for fans. And, and I know everyone can't wait. Nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. There you go. There you go. T hatch. Tis the season to thrill at the Nissan year-end sales event. Get in, then get out and experience the most riveting ride of the year in a brand new Nissan. These savings on Nissan's lineup are sure to raise your pulse. Jordan, when the holiday season is over, how much are you going to miss saying, tis the season to thrill? And can you work it into your everyday vernacular? Because I think that that line 
really it gets the people going. It, I know it gets juju for the holiday season, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. but I would Big argue time. once the holiday season passes and the Flyers season is among us, we should all start saying tis the season to thrill. Yeah. Tis the season. Tis the season. I'll even text you guys every morning, bright and early, if you would like. Tis the season to thrill. Maybe I can make it an audio clip. I would prefer you did not do the second part of that. <laughs> but the other parts. <laughs> but I would like for you to work it into your everyday just conversation, like, hey, how's it going, Jordan? Good. Tis the season to thrill, you know? <laughs> I might start saying it to, to readers on Twitter, and, and that's where we're getting into our next oh segment. Oh, my God. Here. Should, you should do that. And then if they don't have a reaction, be like, wow, you're not a member of the pod fam, clearly. Not in the season, not in the season to thrill. Yeah. Mm, not a thriller. If they don't support the pod, not a thriller. Well, we know, we know fans are going to be thrilled about this next one because one of these fans actually tweeted the question and wanted, wanted uh, us crew to talk about it. Uh, the Twitter uh, follower tweeted at Brooke Destra, and this Twitter follower was asking, what is this team's biggest weakness? We talk so much about we like the overall outlook for this team. We know it's coming off a very promising and positive 2019-20, winning its first playoff series since 2012. But, of course, any team has weaknesses. Brooke, where do you think there's a weakness? Where are you concerned about this 2020-21 Flyers club? I think that we kind of swept this one under the rug since they've been eliminated from the playoffs in the summer. And I think that was just to keep everybody sane mentally. Um, I still have a huge concern when it comes to the power play because just for some reason you have some of the top talent in the league and you still can't figure it out for the life of this team. Nothing is working. It it clicked for a little bit, a little bit, a little while in the regular season. And then the postseason, it was just non-existent. So obviously that's a huge concern. I know that it was stressed on following the playoffs, that it was going to be something that they evaluated significantly in the off season ways that they can improve. But I mean, it takes a while for them to even find a single spark on special teams so in terms of that, it's the power play. I think the penalty kill is going to be pretty solid overall. But yeah, if I, if I have a big concern, like a giant red flag that is going to stick out like a sore thumb in a negative way for the Flyers, I'm going, penalty, I'm going power play for sure. I like that, Brooke. If I could, if I could ask you a follow-up too. Do yeah. you think AVR is maybe the key to maybe answering that bell? Uh, who do you think is a, someone that could really step up and say, hey, let's figure this out a little bit? I think that this season really needs to be a key year to utilize James Van Reenstijk. Mm -hmm. Put that man in his office in front of the opposing goaltender. Let him sit by the crease and let him score goals. Put him in his office. If that means put him on the power play unit, fine. Just stick him there. Don't let him move. Let him do his thing. If it doesn't work for a handful of games, because obviously I think things are going to be a little more quickly paced in terms of adjusting things that they're not going to work this season because there is only 56 games. Um, but I definitely think that that's something that needs to be tried out now. I definitely think that you're going to see Provorov get top power play time as well. But I also think that, you know, there's a good chance that you might see Sandheim Myers rotate. Who knows? 
I just really need to see any sign of life when they're on the power play. It shouldn't be a chore or a punishment for Flyers fans to watch their team on a power play because it's supposed to benefit them and it seems like more harm is done than good. So, I, how many, I feel yeah. like we've had a lot of times where we've seen the power play go in those notorious funks, just like these lengthy, long funks where it is the highlight of every game for the wrong reasons, obviously. Um, and the Flyers, as we know, 82 games to now 56, you don't have as much wiggle room to maybe go through funks and work your way out of it. So the power play, that is a very big one. Taryn Hatcher, a weakness or concern for you about these Flyers? Uh, power play's up there. Yeah. The, the one, the one um, like, redeeming thing, thinking about the power play struggles last year, though, was that we often talk as if they were in a funk for a long time, and then they found their voice, and you know, whatever. And that never really happened. Like that didn't happen for the past two seasons. They kind of were in a funk for a long time. And then we were like, Oh, they found their game. And then not long after they found their game, the power play was back to where it was before. And they still won games despite that. So that's the one part where I go, okay, this is not a team that lives and breathes by its, its special teams. I mean, I would argue they do by their PK because their pet, their penalty killing is, was phenomenal at times this past year. I feel like my concern, and I don't know why, I'm sure they will figure it out and they have plenty of talent. They have plenty of young talent and guys who are at the beginning of really promising careers with a lot of athleticism and talent and ability to learn and willingness to learn on the blue line. But my concern is like, just how do you replace Matt Niskanen? Just because there is no answer. There is no other Matt Niskanen. You, you can shuffle defensive pairing pairings and and develop guys and so on and so forth but the the Flyers got so much from Ivan Provorov last year because of Matt Niskanen and that's not even factoring in what Matt Niskanen himself did productivity wise it's just factoring in how he helped Ivan Provorov so I just wonder how they compensate for that I really am so curious to see how these D pairs work out and where Gustafson works in there I, I have a lot of questions there it's not so much an issue as much as it is just the, the big lingering question at the top of my mind, even more so than the 4C situation, um, which I think is another situation in and of itself. Um, but the, the thing is with the Flyers this year, other the power play is kind of the big gaping wound of their statue when you look at it, really. And besides that, all of the other issues personnel-wise, they're not really issues. It's just a matter of who you want to put where and and the pros and cons of it but they're not there's not really a massive drop off based on last year's personnel you know you could put a Connor Bunneman in there and he can have a good game at 4C you could put a Scott Lawton back there and you lose him as a winger but he is a really really solid 4C you know same thing with the deep pairs um but it's still I think just the jarring nature of Matt Niskanen retiring um just makes the massive question mark surrounding the team for me, the defensive pairs, but it's not an issue so much as it is. How are they going to address it is the question. Yeah, that really was, that was mine too, Taryn. Uh, like you said, the bottom six depth, of course, that's going to be somewhat of a question mark because we're, you know, we have to wait and see where Nolan Patrick is and Oscar Lindblom, but they have enough bodies, I think, and enough people that are able to fill in spots. Uh, Matt Niskanen, just no real replacing him. And that's, that was my concern. If I have a concern going into the season, it's their goal prevention. 
I just think Matt Niskanen was that important to their improved goal prevention. They, the Flyers were tougher to play against, and that led to preventing goals. Uh, if, you, if you look at 2018-19, before Matt Niskanen's arrival, they allowed 3.41 goals per game. That was third most in the NHL. The very next season, Matt Niskanen gets here, and they allow 2.77 per game. That was seventh fewest in the NHL. A lot went into that. A lot was Elaine Vio and his system. A lot of that was Kevin Hayes and some of their um, improved forwards. Uh, but a ton of that, a ton of that was Matt Niskanen. And we just, we know what he's done. He led the team's defenseman in defensive zone start percentage. That's huge. God just lived in defensive zone and getting the puck out of it. Um, he was second overall in ice time on the team, second in shorthanded minutes per game on the team. The guy did a lot. And like you mentioned, Taryn, not only did he do what he did, but he really was huge for Ivan Provorov. And we saw in 2018-19, there was probably too much on Ivan Provorov's shoulders. He struggled, and then the team really struggled to, to prevent goals. So if I had to pick one maybe not related to Matt Niskan or, or goal prevention, I would say just no fans in the building. I think it's, it's, it maybe it's a weird one, but I thought the Flyers, they were the best home team in hockey, and I thought they really fed off playing in front of their crowd. I think it actually accentuated Elaine Vigneault's system of really getting after it, uh, playing a brand of hockey that fans like. It gets fans into it. It's, uh, it leads to kind of dominating possession, and it leads to fun hockey, and I thought the Flyers fed off of that. They were a different team on the road. Uh, they struggled in the bubble, to be quite frank, with no fans in the building. So, I mean, that's a concern for me. Uh, we don't know the, the, the firm status of whether fans will be allowed right now. Obviously, we know fans cannot be allowed in certain areas, and we don't know if they'll be allowed at all, even in limited uh, capacity. So we'll have to see. But that's a concern for me as well. Would you guys agree on the, the, home, uh, the home fans not being in the building, maybe being a concern for these Flyers? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I'd have to actually look back at, the season and and the Flyers record on the road but just from memory alone and experiencing it and being in the building the best the Flyers played on the road last year from my memory were in the buildings where the fans were super invested against them that this is a team of and I get every team is full of athletes who who ride the wave but when you look at the leaders on this team maybe with the exception of Sean Couturier who's pretty even keeled like G is a competitive, fiery guy. Jake Borachek's a competitive, fiery guy. Kevin Hayes is a guy who gets everybody going. Michael Roffel is a guy who gets people going. Scott Lawton is a guy. Like, this is a team that loves Travis Konechny. How can I miss Travis Konechny? Travis Konechny loves playing in Pittsburgh. Like, he loves playing in Pittsburgh. He's talked to me about it before. Because he says the, the Penguins themselves, the players, come skate out and they've got this moxie like oh we're better than you we've won cups more recently yada yada blah 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 and the fans are just flyer haters and it just feeds him somehow and it's hard when when you go to Montreal the Bell Center is so loud and it's all loud from fans like Vegas is loud because of their speaker system Montreal is loud because of the fans and it it literally, it like feeds you even just as a sideline reporter standing there, you get, it gets your blood pumping and it spikes your adrenaline. And the Flyers fans were so amazing last year, got so invested in the team. I think Carter showed in the bubble that he can play without fans, but I do genuinely think fans were part of a reason Carter Hart was essentially like unbeatable in Wells Fargo Center. Every stop he made, they were cheering. I mean, people just got so behind this team. And I think it's 
it it almost helped the team get that swagger and that moxie that when they had they played their best hockey so I think it's a very very reasonable concern especially because it's part of the thing that made that they, they weren't the worst team in the bubble I think it's just for Flyers fans they they looked so lifeless compared to when they played outside the bubble they, they didn't play the same brand of hockey yeah. at all even in the <laughs> round robin rounds I I completely agree I think that I I also think it sucks for fans not being able to go this season. And obviously I know safety reasons are huge and important. And obviously we need to follow those protocols, but I mean, this was definitely a year where I think Flyers fans were really looking forward to last year. Nobody really expected them to do much with, you know, the complete overall overhaul behind the bench, Carter Hart's first season. Um, but I think now, and like Taryn mentioned, now that we have a significant amount of rivalry games that they get to look forward to, hopefully it kind of balances out like the not being their live aspect. But I think it is going to affect the Flyers to some degree, not as much as I think. Hopefully it's really you're going to play it by year. You're really not going to know until the season kind of kicks off how yeah. it's going to play in effect, because the fact that they're in Wells Fargo center alone this year, if they're playing home, because obviously in the bubble home ice advantage, wasn't really anything except you get the last shift. Mm -hmm. So I think even the level of familiarity that the guys might have might amplify that just a little bit, obviously no fans is going to play some part. Hopefully it won't be as big of an issue as we think it is. So We'll can see. I, can I yeah. make a point without taking a shot at the Islanders, but I'm going to take a little bit of a shot at the Islanders. Go for the it. The Islanders, when we went with the Flyers, so my first year covering the team and traveling with them, they only played the Islanders at Nassau Coliseum in 2018, 2019, at least the games I covered. There's some national games that we don't go to because the national broadcast does it. This past year, they played at Barclays Center one time, and I was there covering that game. Scott Lawton, I think Robert Hague and myself were in an elevator checking out the hotel at the same time to catch the team bus to go over for pregame interviews and for them to go warm up. And I'm in the elevator and, and Scott goes, um, have you ever been to, to Barclay Center for a game? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, it sucks. And I said, why? <laughs> and he goes, because it feels, he said, it feels like no one's there because the arena is built for basketball and the, the crowd is actually like pushed away from the ice and the way it's set up some of the seats are like blind spots so they don't put fans there so there's empty seats whatever and it really does like I almost felt like not exactly but I felt like you're at like my brother's high school hockey games where it's just the family of the players there it, there it was a bizarre empty feeling arena and that was weird because I've never been to a professional sporting event where you feel like the arena's not full of people, especially we're spoiled here in Philly. Philly sports fans are so invested in everything all the time. And I sit there and I think about, okay, now imagine that, but no fans at all had to be such an adjustment for these players. And I almost wonder if the Islanders kind of had a bit of um, 
an advantage, advantage because they start. don't have fans. No, they. I mean, they, the barn. I <laughs> the Nashville Coliseum is one of my favorite places to cover Flyers games, and I mean that it. It just feels like those people love the Islanders, and it just feels almost homey. If that's that's a weird way to describe an arena, but it's a barn. It is a barn. Like, um, but Barclays Center just it, there's. Mm-hmm. it's it doesn't feel like a normal game and and I, I try to just picture that but with no one at all and that's what these players experience and I just it makes me uncomfortable like secondhand discomfort just thinking about it um but I wonder at this point like the teams that have played in up in um Toronto and Edmonton if they have an advantage over the teams that didn't experience that on top of the time advantage and, you know, you wonder if the Flyers will be able to adjust because it's going to be that way from day one now. Because um, it clearly affected them last year. It, it, I mean, it clearly did. So, Well, hey, since, since we're having fun, we're thinking positives. Let's give the fans something that they don't have to worry about with these 2020-21 Flyers. Rook, if you had to pick one thing that it's certain, it's a, it's a clear certainty for these Flyers, for fans not to worry about, what would it be? Goaltending. Oh, man, it feels good to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just our Brian Elliott duo. I think that it's just you're excited. You're looking forward to it. You don't really go into any kind of matchup right now thinking, oh, my God, so-and-so is going to blow it. We're not going to have a goaltenders on call just in case. I think that the duo and the dynamic that – Carter Hart and Brian Elliott have together is so exciting and they figured that home road tandem and it's just it's thrilling and you're going to see Carter Hart kick butt I don't want to curse on this podcast I'll save that for the season (laughs) but it's just an incredible feeling right now to be excited for goaltending because I have not I mean since fans have really been excited and looking forward to it. There was a little bit of concern last year to see how Brian Elliott was going to handle things. He earned himself another contract with the Flyers. So clearly he's doing something right. Obviously we can all see that as well. This is the first year in a long time where you're just excited about goaltending from the jump. So that's mine. Goaltending. (laughs) Goaltending is a good thing as Philly knows. Um, And yeah, you you hear so much about, Bottom six depth, Nolan Patrick, Oscar Lindblom, will they be healthy and available? P- replacing Matt Niskanen. Goaltending really is not a question. It's kind of nice. It's a subplot right now. Uh, you even saw it in the playoffs. Some teams were going through goalie controversies with some of their number one guys struggling, and then all of a sudden they had a really good backup. It just it never came up with the Flyers. You knew, you knew Carter Hart was your number one, and Brian Elliott was solid as a rock back there as a backup. Uh, that's great to see. Taryn Hatcher, one thing that you're not worried about with these Flyers. Um, Brooke saying goaltending and then now everything just falling apart around me. I'm literally crutching, clutching my cross as she was saying it because I thought about it all day and then the instinctual answer is goaltending. Um, <laughs> the instinctual yeah. answer is goaltending because it's such a sure situation, but I'm so scorned from my entire like cognitive life as a Flyers fan of really being terrified yep. of our goaltending situation. So I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm terrified to say that. So I won't, and um, hopefully me just praying on my on my necklace as Brooke talks. Everyone is watched over throughout the season. Um, 
my God, I didn't mean to stress you out. Like, <laughs> Brooke is fine. Clearly, I'm, clearly <laughs> I'm already going through something here, like having an absolute mm -hmm. like mental break in, in my attempts to speak sentences. So it's fine. Like, it's not, it's not like you really, my flow is already all over the place. My vibes, my okay. chakra. So it's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, goaltending is the answer. Uh, still holding the cross. Goaltending is the answer. I would say, honestly, as well, I, I don't, I'm not really that concerned about like the center situation. I know it's wild to say because of Nolan Patrick and all the question marks, but the Flyers have so many versatile players in their bottom six right now that I really just feel like they're in a, a great place to almost toy with things in order to improve, but messing with some of those things won't actually hurt the team. Um, but yeah, I mean, their most solid position is goaltending. So it is what it is. We've cursed the team. It's all our fault. And I you, really, you're not holding I, your I'm, I'm going to knock on wood. I'm going to yeah. knock on wood right now. Um, but yeah, like Brooke said, it is, it is wild because like, I literally was terrified to make that my answer because every year it's just, you know, it's issues A through Z. And then in big red letters on the top of the list is goaltender situation. Um, and it's weird to not think about that right now, like at all, knock on wood again, but. It is again, weird. It is weird. And it's you know, we've seen the Flyers actually struggle with their depth at center for a while sometimes. And to me, that's going to be my one certainty. I think you have a one-two punch at center that you know exactly what you're getting from. And that's Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes. And I think that's exciting. That's a certainty right there. Two 28-year-old centers, big guys, long reach, defensive-minded, can score. Um, they're going to be there on the PK. They're going to be there on the power play. And they're going to be really tough to play against down the middle. I think the Flyers know exactly what they're getting in those two. And that's exciting. That's a good thing. I think for a while, you knew what you had at top, you know, first line center with Claude Drew, and then it kind of quickly tapered off. And you weren't, you weren't exactly sure what you were going to get down the middle. I think it's great that the Flyers have Kevin Hayes and Sean Gattori, two very similar guys that uh, are going to be real sturdy down the middle. And that's, that's an exciting thing for the Flyers. So for me, it's going to be the one-two punch down the middle. But gosh, you can't go wrong with goaltending. Uh, that's that's you know Carter Hart, 22 years old, right there in the pipes. I love it. Be there for the long, long uh, tenure of this team. Jordan, I would argue you can go wrong with goaltending, and all you have to do is look back we at have your seen it go post wrong. Ron Hextall and pre Carter Hart to find where you can go wrong with goaltending. <laughs> we can the go back. Is, to the season. Flyers are really good at getting those franchise goaltenders. You start off with Bernie Perron, you get Ron Hextall in the 80s. And then yet it was a dry spell for who knows how long. So not discrediting, obviously there's been some great little fillers here and there, but it's like, you're so hot or you're so cold in the net. So the fact that we have a young goaltender for the future, whoo, knock on wood again, because now Taryn's scaring me, but <laughs> it's a good thing. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. As we mentioned earlier, a very, very special interview with the legendary voice of hockey, Mike Doc Emmerich. Let's get into that interview right now. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Deshra, and we have the utmost honor of welcoming, welcoming a special, special guest, Mike Doc Emmerich, the iconic voice of hockey. After 47 years of broadcasting professional hockey, with the last 15 as the lead play-by-play announcer for NBC Sports' NHL coverage, Mike announced his retirement in October. Mike, congratulations on your multiple Hall of Fame career, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to both of you, and uh, I'll look forward to whatever you have to say. <laughs> I, I know we are so excited just to talk about your career and also your, your uh, ties to Philadelphia, which is so exciting for us. Um, I know your first NHL gig was calling Flyers games from 1980 to 1983, and then again from 1988 to 1993. Uh, you were with their AHL affiliate, the, the Maine Mariners, prior to that. Um, I was curious, how did that all come to fruition, and what did you like about your time calling Flyers games? Well, it started in, um, uh, with the Maine Mariners, as you said, and the president of the Flyers at that time, who uh, turns out was the last president of the National Hockey League before it became a commissionership and Gary Bettman took over, was Gil Stein. Gil was the president of the Flyers, and Ed Snyder, in his wisdom, sent Gil to Maine in the summer of 1977 and said, Gil, get this franchise off the ground. Well, part of that was hiring a staff and then coordinating a marketing plan for the team as it got off the ground that summer. A part of the staff that he hired, fortunately for me, was me. And then Gil coordinated a battle plan because part of Maine was bilingual. There were cities that were French and there were cities that were English. And so he borrowed the great John Beliveau from the Montreal Canadiens. He brought up Bernie Perrant and Bobby Clark from Philadelphia. And we got on a bus tour of French cities as well as English cities in the state of Maine. And you can imagine having the legends like Bernie Perrant and Jean Beliveau speak to you in French about the Maine Mariners. And Gil thought all of this up. And he made the connections with the Montreal Canadiens to get that done. Well, anyway, the Mariners had this great battle plan and they had, uh, they had great publicity that summer. And they started out four, eight and three and their general manager who was also the general manager of the Flyers Stanley Cups named Keith Allen uh, decided that they needed help. And so he brought in four players and we were in first place by Christmas. We won the regular season, we won the championship. The next year we won the regular season, we won the championship. Ed Snyder was committed because he had a summer place in Maine to having a winner in his shadow whenever he stopped up in Maine in the summer and he did for the first two years. So uh, after three years there, the Flyers promoted being from within. There was a TV a channel that was a pay channel called PRISM, P-R-I-S-M. And they wanted a separate announcer for their their home cable games than they had for over the air channel 29. So I was brought in to do that. And I was there for three years. And then Bill Clement and I, and Bill of course still does Flyers games, uh, came uh, together in 1988. And, and we were there for that uh, stretch of, 
Flyers games too. Uh, but it was a wonderful time in Flyers history, the first time that I was there because the, uh, the Hall of Famers, Bill Barber and Bobby Clark were playing together on a line with Reggie Leach, who I still think should be in the Hall of Fame someday. And they, uh, they, had a, they, were, they were a very dangerous team. In the latter part of the 80s, when I came back with Bill, uh, they were just starting to uh, sink. Uh, despite the fact that Eric Lindros was just starting his career there, they missed the playoffs four out of five years. And there was, there was a dark time that they were emerging from by the time that I left. And then they moved into a brand new arena that is the that uh, shelf life being what it is, is now not an old arena, but a mi middle-aged arena where they play now. So I enjoyed my time greatly with the Flyers. Uh, they, they had great pride and they also, uh, when I first arrived, they were still playing snarly hockey, which I've always selfishly enjoyed. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. The, the new era of hockey is definitely exciting for different reasons, but you always kind of look forward to that classic element of the game. Um, but I, it's really funny that you do mention Bill Clement because we did want to touch on him today as well. And the connection that you two had when you were working together. I mean, obviously, I was, I was not alive during the time that you were calling with Bill. But when I look back and do my research and study up on some games, it's just, it's so wonderful to be able to hear you two calling. So is let's just talk about if it's okay with you um just the connection that you two had together because you guys work together so seamlessly uh the greatest uh one of the greatest compliments i've ever gotten from bill was that he called me like a brother he has one brother of his own but he uh i was the straight man and bill was mr showbiz because he had not only had he done acting in new york but when the light went on bill could bill could rehearse our open and he could deliver it the same way on the air as he could in rehearsal. And I would bounce all around and, and be sort of disorganized. But Bill always had that ability to perform and be really good. He was somebody that lent his talents to NBC and Versus in the early years. And he made them look so good because there were times that he was, he was uh, talking over highlights that he had not seen. And to be able to do that uh, anything that you threw to Bill uh, in a baseball analogy, he always got wood on and he was able to, to make you look good and hit home runs uh, all the time. So uh, any credit that I would get for those years in Philadelphia that we worked together, much of it goes to him. He, uh, to this day, continues to, uh, uh, he, if we're ever together, I always get him to do his voices because he does so many impersonations. And uh, if, if we ever wound up on the air together again, uh, which probably won't happen in my case because I'm, I'm finished with play-by-play, -play. but if we ever wound up together again, I'd probably just resume my position of being a straight man and he would wind up again being the comic sidekick because that's what we always did. Bill first started doing games with me in 1986 when I was doing Devil's Games. Uh, and all that it took was for him to be heard in New York doing Devil's Games with me. And immediately he wound up on national TV for ESPN. That's how good he was. And that was the immediate result of his being heard in New York. That is terrific. That really is. And, and another broadcaster that you have a relationship with in Philadelphia is uh, the 
the play-by-play guy now, Jim Jackson, who we've grown to love as well. Um, I saw in an article by Bill Meltzer on the Flyers official website uh, that you took Jim out to lunch in 1993 before he began his career covering Flyers games and after you had moved on. Um, I know that meant a lot to Jim. What did you have to say to Jim about the Flyers and just about Philadelphia? I have no idea. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't remember anything specific that I told him. I don't know that any part of it registered with him. We probably had a lot of laughs about the minors because yeah. Jim, Jim came from Utica, I believe. And, uh, and, and I wound up coming from Maine. We both, were, uh, we both were guys that spent a lot of time on buses. So if I imparted any kind of wisdom to Jim, it was accidental because he's so talented. His career was going to take off anyway. Uh, I have a feeling we probably told stories about buses that got off the wrong exit on the interstate and wound up going 50 miles out of the way and arrived late for games. I imagine that's what it was. I admire anybody that can do baseball, and I know he's done that for years. Uh, I did one game one time with Bob Costas and decided that this was so perfect I was never going to do another. But I remember riding back to the hotel with Bob after the game was over, and I thought, what would I do if I had to do another game tomorrow? Because I, I used everything I had. And I realized to do 162 games in one year of baseball, I my hat's off to anybody that can do that because there's a lot of work that has to go into doing that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Um, now let's, you've obviously been known for some of your absolute iconic calls in the league and reliving them over the past few months since announcing your retirement has definitely been such a treat for all of us, I believe. And I was really curious about if you had a favorite Flyers call or moment that you just remember off the top of your head as, as a top favorite for you. I'll tell you one that I remember because the best team that I saw in 40 years of doing NHL games was the 87 Oilers. And they faced a Flyers team that was coached by Mike Keenan, that um, guys like Dave Poulin and, and um, I mean, there, there were a lot of real character guys, Brad Marsh, uh, on that team, they were not expected to go very far against uh, six Hall of Famers and uh, I guess seven Hall of Famers now uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. But here they were, and Ron Hextall uh, came out and swatted Kent Nielsen and got a suspension that wasn't going to be served right away. It was going to be postponed till the next fall. I mean, there was a lot of controversy. <laughs> it was just great. So. Anyhow, Bill and I are doing the series for ESPN. And uh, it's game six in Philadelphia. And um, we're paid by the game. So it's just fine with us if it goes seven. And it's late in the third period. And it's two to one Flyers. And J.J. Daniel, I'll never forget, drives a shot. Uh, from the left point, and it beats Grant Fuhr in the top right corner. And I think I said something like, Daniel drive score. And the crowd, of course, at the spectrum goes nuts because now it's three to one. It's going to go to seven. It's going to be a seventh game. And 
I turned to Bill as, as I'm saying nothing because the crowd's going crazy. I turned to Bill and all he did was smile and go like this, <laughs> <laughs> which meant that we were going to get one more paycheck because it was going to go seven. And then, and I, I've talked to Murray Craven about this because of course he's still in hockey. Uh, in game seven in Edmonton, uh, and tickets are going for $1,000 a piece. Now, consider that's nothing today. But $1,000 a seat in 1987 is a lot of cash. Uh, so the, the scalpers are doing land office business and all. Uh, but Murray Craven scored from behind the goal line on an odd shot. And the Flyers actually had the lead in game seven. The Oilers eventually came back and Glenn Anderson sealed it up and they won three to one in game seven. But uh, it was, as I remember, I think the score in game six was three to one too. But anyway, Daniel's goal sealed it up in game six. And that call I remember. And, um, and the Flyers were a gallant team that just fell short to buy, for my money, the best team I ever saw play in the NHL. And that was the 87 Oilers. It's so cool, Mike. We hear so often that that was the loudest the spectrum has ever gotten. Can you just recall how loud it was? Could you even hear yourself think? Uh, no, but the, those are, and, and Stanley Cup clinches at home are also good because uh, when you have a moment like that, you don't have to work for two minutes <laughs> because that's when the guys in the truck show you all kinds of pictures and you don't say a thing because you can only injure the moment by talking. And so at that time, just like the gold medal game in 2010 in Vancouver, when Crosby scored in overtime, you get the initial stuff out and then you just let the handshakes go and all the other stuff. You don't work. You just watch because there are professionals in the truck too. And you let them do their thing. And that gives you a lot of time to think of something else. It's like the Kirk Gibson home run. Uh, what did Vin Scully say? Not much after he said the initial, because that's a moment for the fans. And those are moments that, of course, we missed in August and September with these playoffs. But hopefully we'll be able to hear them again sometime soon once we get going and once we get fans back in arenas like Wells Fargo. Awesome recollection and also <laughs> terrific advice for aspiring young broadcasters. Mike, we also would be remiss if we didn't ask you, you have a book uh, coming, a book out right now with Kevin Allen. It's called Off Mike, How a Kid from Basketball Crazy Indiana Became America's NHL Voice. I know this is a popular holiday gift. Uh, one of the chapters is called The Philadelphia Story. Just how enjoyable was it to put this uh, book together? Oh, it was a lot of fun. I, I tried for six years to do it myself. Once in the Wells Fargo Center in the press box, I ran into a, a Delaware Valley resident named Kerry Frazier, the referee. And he told me about doing his book by himself. And he cordoned himself off in his office and was able to do it in, in lightning-like time. And I, I was not I was not as good as Kerry Frazier at getting that kind of time. I would spend summers at it and I realized that I couldn't organize it properly. Kevin Allen had done 12 or 13 of these books with other people, and I basically ambushed him during the 2017 final in Pittsburgh and asked him to help me with it, and he agreed. <coughs> Excuse me. And in about 12 months, 
he had it not only organized, he'd done three interviews with me and it is in the form that it is today. Otherwise, it, I would still be working on it. But uh, the, the Philadelphia chapter, some of which I, I sort of short, uh, gave you the short version of it, um, is a part of that. And going through cancer surgery, which was um, Jay Snyder was at the forefront in uh, helping me along with that period of time in my life too. Uh, that all occurred during my time, one of the two times that I was in Philadelphia. So I hope people uh, enjoy the book. And even if they don't, uh, they should know that the money they spend on it, uh, whatever comes back to me goes to the hands-on care of animals, which is a cause that's very, um, that's very near to my wife and me. Well, Mike, thank you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Flyers fans, go out and get that book. I know I will. I know Brooke will. And uh, this has just been an absolutely thrill and honor for Brooke and myself. Uh, congratulations on just an incredible career. And I really hope retirement treats you well and you get a chance to enjoy it. And I'm sure we'll be hearing your voice as well. I thank you so much. This has been a wonderful time for me too. And, and a great holiday season to both of you. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. As everyone celebrates the holidays, we have hockey to look forward to. And I love talking about it with you both. Brooke Destra, thank you so much. As always, I hope you have a great holiday. Taryn Hatcher, you as well. Thank you very much. Have a great holiday. Special thank you to Tom Finer, our video producer and podcast producer overseeing this podcast on this Monday. And a special, special thank you to Mike Doc Emmerich, the legendary voice of hockey, for joining us. It was a real treat, and we hope he enjoys retirement. And we look forward to hearing his voice in other avenues. Flyers fans, thank you. Have a great holiday. And we look forward to catching up with you with more hockey coming into January. Thank you so much for listening. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and subscribe. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time.